0: Today, I'd like you to turn with me to the fourth chapter of the letter to the Ephesian Church. Pastor George examines the basic life of the early church, apart from governance and worship, and pieces together a story that might have applications for our troubled time as well. Let's listen together. After Jesus left this earth, the newborn church struggled to find its footing. We've been Talking in our sermons the last few weeks about the experience of developing this new sense of being as a church and what the early believers went through. Uh, at first, we found them waiting. That was the first thing they had to learn. That was a hard lesson. But then came the great moment of the Spirit infilling. Thirdly, we found how they discovered the Spirit would guide them. In a multitude of ways, and then we looked at worship and how they discovered worship last week. And today we're going to look at that other layer around worship, which is uh, their body life together, and what was their experience of living as the body of Christ. The church is a body, whatever that means. We'll talk more about it later. The believers were unified as one, and they felt that way, not just when they were worshiping together, but all the time. It seemed that they had to try to express it, and the only way to express it was by wanting to be together continually. And so the idea of living together certainly was on their mind, but it appeared quite early that that wasn't possible. Some people had to go off and earn money to live on it, to live on, and others had to buy food on the market, take care of other responsibilities around their family, and they had to have their own private time with their children. But what would their togetherness turn out to look like in reality? There was some experimenting and fumbling and trial and error They pretty much decided that they would remain in their usual living quarters, in family units, getting together as much as possible. At the same time, they had a high value on hospitality for those who needed shelter, food, and other necessities of life. But it seemed like one powerful natural symbol of their unity was their eating together. And this eating together, of course, was twofold. It had to do with their sharing in the communion meal, the body and blood of Christ, which he had shared with them at the Last Supper. And it also had to do with their just joined being together. And their meals together became known as love feasts. In fact, in the Greek, it's just known as love. How do you love? You eat together, agape. That was their feast. And that was a wonderful experience until it wasn't. When they got together to have the love feast and then also celebrate the Lord's Supper at the same time, they found some subtle things set in. One, some people were used to being waited on and other people were used to doing the waiting. So there became a little caste system developing in the congregation. And some people got served first and some last. And that was counter to the spirit of the Lord's table. In fact, the Low Feast became a place where a lot of pettiness was expressed in the church. In Jude, in the book of Jude, verse 12, he says, your behavior is a blemish on your love feasts. And their jealousy and their backbiting was a a blemish to their expression of love together. So what, what turned out to be the case is that the love feast, the eating together for fellowship, became separate from the Lord's table. The Lord's table was more and more celebrated not as a feast, but as a fast as a time of self-denial, and then the partaking of the bread and cup alone. The feast itself was continued in a modified form. So they kind of tried living together. They certainly experienced eating together. They also felt the impulse of owning together. And they had all things in common, we read in Acts chapter 2. We read that many of them sold property. Barnabas among them sold a piece of land and gave it to the group so they could share in it communally. And then we have the story of Ananias and Sapphira who held back. They said they were giving and then they kept part of it hidden. So there seemed to be a serious effort to share in a communal experience, a kind of Christian communism, But then they backed away from it, and it was very short-lived. But many times since, the Christian community has experimented with living together, eating together, and owning together. And certainly, since their lives had all been individually transformed by their conversion and their renewal, they realized they shared a new pattern of living. So they also began behaving together. That is, they lived a lifestyle that said, we are Jesus people. The details of that varied a little bit from generation to generation, and we're not sure what form that took for them. But they could be distinguished from others by their behavior, at least theoretically. These are different experiences of togetherness have been part of the body life of the church on and off in various ways ever since. Living together, eating together, owning together, behaving together. So the church is a body. There are a number of passages, especially in Paul's writings, that talk about the church as the body of Christ, and he is the head. Familiar passage in Romans chapter 12 in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, 12. Paul talks about it a great deal there. Uh, several times in Ephesians, Peter discusses it. talks about the church as a body in 1 Peter uh, 2, 5. This means that if the church is a body, in a sense, it is one organism. And it can see, be seen as motivated by one motivation, and acting in one action, at least theoretically. That's the way it is. And the church, when they came together, experienced what became known as koinonia, the word for fellowship or communion, was the experience of body life together. Now we're going to look at one passage of Scripture today in Ephesians chapter 4, that gives a number of the aspects of what the body life was that the disciples experienced in the early church. Beginning with chapter four, verse one, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord, the Apostle Paul writing from prison, by the way, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Now, that's what it takes to live as a body, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, says Paul, And one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. One, 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 repeated. But in the one, there is diversity. Verse 7, but each of us. Each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. The gifts he gave, we're going to look down in verse 11 now. The gifts he gave, now notice first he talks about church leadership gifts. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, But these leadership gifts are given so that the other gifts may be brought out in the congregation. Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. So how does The body of Christ on earth come to its full stature when all the parts work together. When all the various parts from the big parts, like apostles and prophets and evangelists, to the little parts that can't even be given a title. When they all work together, then we as a body will experience maturity, the full stature of Christ. Verse 14, We must no longer be children. This is the individual tendency that we're all little children looking out for ourselves. That we must no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness, in deceitful scheming. But, see, rather than our lifestyle being shaped by all of these outside forces... Instead, verse 15, by speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in him every way, by every way. We must grow up into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every ligament. Look how detailed the body image is by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. Wow. That is the body life of the church, the ideal body life. That when we come together for worship, when we eat together, when we act together, when we minister to each other, and when we when we join in any way that we are in a mutual uh, venture of building up the body under the guidance of the head, connected to the head, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the description of every church I know. Except it really doesn't look quite like that. And it didn't look quite like that in the first century because... They had problems right from the beginning. Little pettiness, jealousies, put-downs, ego trips. It was all there right from the beginning. Now, throughout history, there have always been people who thought they could improve on that. And and they should improve on that. Because being the body of Christ is a responsibility that the church on earth should fulfill. And, And that's true, and that's a good instinct. And so the desire to build a utopian Christian community, the kingdom of God on earth, we have many examples of that. And one of the earliest is the monastic movement in uh, the traditional Roman Catholic Church that began way, way back in the early centuries of men first and then women who dedicated themselves to a life in community and turned their back on many of the things that others experienced, that itself was an attempt at building a utopian society on earth. During the COVID on on our Netflix and and YouTube and elsewhere, I have been on a journey discovering uh, all I can find out about communal groups in history. I looked at the Oneida Society and in the eighteen thirties in America and the Second Great Awakening and some of the the, the the groups that came out of that looked at the imported groups like the Amish and the Hutterites. I've studied all their histories and their differences and uniqueness, the Mennonites, Orthodox Jews. All of these are attempts to create utopian societies, to express God's God's image, God's purpose, God's character on earth by the way we live together. Now, all of them are, are beautiful in their way, and I don't mean to demean them. They all have expressed values that are really very beautiful. However, they all seem to fall into the same traps. When we try to be the perfect body of Christ, the first characteristic of all of these communal groups is that they become ingrown. As one uh, Hutterite said in a documentary, that's a group that came from Europe with uh, 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 their own styles a little different from Amish and Mennonite. This Hutterite said uh, being a Hutterite means living with the same 100 or so people all your life. You live with them, you work with them, you eat with them, you marry, you be, raise your kids with them, and 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 because you're such a in such a limited group, you have a limited gene pool. So, communities, colonies of Hutterites tend to look for a mate in another colony so that they can uh, have have you know avoid some of those problems, but they're always going to be ingrown. They're always going to look inward rather than outward. That's the first characteristic all these groups have. The second characteristic is they're oriented to the past rather than the future. That was a bit bit of a surprise for me. I mean, it's obvious now that I look at it, but didn't realize how much they were oriented to the past. Some of these groups, the Hutterites, the Amish Mennonites, They use the German Bible in an old German that nobody really quite understands. They read it, memorize it, and then they preach. Now, some of these groups re-preach sermons that were written 200 years ago for a different time and a different place. But they don't have the permission to relate to the world in a new way. Their eyes are firmly fixed on the past and not on the future. Um, I remember uh, years ago hearing a slogan that's always stuck with me. The seven last words, of the, you've heard the seven last words of Christ from the cross. But the seven last words of the church, we've never done it that way before. That's a way for the church to die. And as a matter of fact, These communal groups almost surely die ultimately. Some of them have pretty strong life cycles and maintain for generations, but they can't make it in the long term. And what's more, they can't fulfill their ministry because they're not only ingrown, they're past oriented they're patriarchal, virtually every one of them is patriarchal, strong male leadership. Women in one group, a woman, said, well, uh, it's not that we're less important. It's just that they have their duties and we have ours. and We like it that way. Uh, I watched the film and I didn't, she didn't convince me. She said, we, grew, we bloom where we're planted. We don't envy the outside world. But it all revolves around strong male leadership. And then they're isolated. They're isolated in their contact with the world by choice. As one man in the Hutterite group said, I've seen the world and I've chosen not to be part of it. That makes me feel liberated. Okay? If that's liberation. But the longer and more severely you're isolated from the world, the harder it is to imagine living outside. Uh, You know... uh, One of these groups, the guy said, we try to insulate our people from the world, not to isolate them. Fair enough as a goal, but I'm not sure that works. The kind of fundamentalism I grew up on, it was a high value to be separated from the world. Separation was taught to children. You are in the world, but not of the world. There's truth in that, of course, but it has some unhealthy implications of superiority and even self-righteousness. So all these groups have a lot of rules and regulations, and they depend on those rules and regulations, what to wear, what you can drive, what you can do on certain days, what you can eat, who you can relate to, how you can relate to them. And... uh, One person in one of these documentaries said, uh, we like these rules and regulations. If we don't follow them, we feel guilty. But following them gives us true happiness. And I can't doubt that, except I'm not sure that it's true happiness if it hasn't been tested. The church is the word Greek word for church is ecclesia, which literally means called out ones. So the church are the called out ones, called out from the world. But how far out? That's the question. If we're so far out that we don't know how to talk to the world, how can we communicate the gospel? How can we fulfill the Great Commission? If the church isolated itself in the first century from the people around them, how could they go to all the world and preach the gospel? How could they be witnesses of Jesus? And uh, as I said, there's also a tendency to develop a kind of self-righteousness. Well, if I do that, I might be on a slippery slope. Well, see, it applies that you're on the top of the hill already. So the slippery slope means you're going to be less of a person if you compromise. One film had an older ex-Amish woman who felt liberated by the gospel of grace, which she had learned and rejoiced in, and felt she no longer was bound by legalism. And a friend of hers said, well, I, I agree, that's a good thing. But we need to raise our children with the fences, and, and, and we need the fences ourselves. Because if you don't have fences, how can you keep the sheep in? And she said, this little old lady with a twinkle in her eye, if you know the shepherd, you don't need fences. Well, it's a pretty strong statement, but you know the power of that. The fences are there because of your insecurity that you're going to be faithful. And and, and then you find yourself so isolated that you can't do the work in the world that the Lord has called you to do. Well, here we are, Dina Baptist Church in 2021. Um, We have our fences, you know. They're not as visible as some of these other groups. A lot of them are unspoken, uh, maybe feelings, looks, taboos based on messages that we've adopted from the way we were brought up, and most of us have those in common, some of them a little different than others. If if we don't have those rules and regulations, those fences, and we feel completely liberated to be like the world, then when we leave church and, and and go to our home and to our work, then we just might melt into the world, and we're not going to be distinctive in the way we live. So there's a tension there, and there's a balance. For us, we don't live communally, and we do eat communally as often as we can, both the formal eating of the Lord's Supper, and the love feast of a church business meeting. And we worship and have Bible studies and TLC groups. And this is our time of coming together when we practice community. Now, what do we do during a COVID pandemic? We, well, we scramble We just try to find ways, and we have tried to find ways through having an active phone tree, through sending out care packages, for having the deacons look over their list of of concerns and the people that they're looking out for, and and to always uh, try to find new ways. Our staff, the deacon board, and some of our members have become pretty active at promoting community life even while we're not able to be together. And we have to encourage one another about having the right relationship with God, about having the right relationship with other believers, and having the right relationship with the rest of the world. That's something that's good for the whole body. And we do it not just for ourselves, but for each other. But it's good to remind ourselves where we started, The church is a supernatural fusion. It isn't just a bunch of rules and regulations. It's not just a better way to organize things. It's a living entity. And that gets so covered with the barnacles of life in this world, whether the barnacles of worldliness or the barnacles of trying not to be worldly and wearing and distinctive clothes and practices. Either way, it's not the supernatural coming out, but it's the natural world. We need to emphasize the fact that we are a body. So I'd like to to, um, post two words, organization and organism. And the organization can be and should be criticized The organism should be cultivated and nurtured. I have some people who have told me, uh, I don't belong to any organized religion. And I'm happy to tell them, come to our church because we're pretty disorganized. And uh, sometimes they bite. But the organization itself, if you look at not only Baptist churches, Methodist churches, Catholic churches, Orthodox churches, Brethren churches, Pentecostal churches. Look at them all. You'll find all kinds of things wrong with all of them. And they find a lot of things wrong with each other. And to me, as I look at the church today, at the organization of the church, the way it builds its buildings, the way it makes its rules, the way it advertises itself, I think the organization tends to be pretty twisted and ugly. And I'm not sure if I was an unbeliever, I'd be attracted to the organized church myself. There's divisions over every kind of minutiae of doctrine and behavior. There's leadership by small-minded megalomaniacs, ego-driven The public image of Christ is distorted, badly distorted, by the organized church. I'm just doing that, saying that in a generic way. The institution is maintained often at the expense of the people. That's if you look at the organization. But if you look at the organism, the body of Christ, It's my opinion that the organism is really pretty healthy. There's still personal conversions going on all over the world through all kinds of agencies, even twisted ones. There are people calling out to the Lord in prayer, in worship, for the first time, or for the last time. There are people Connecting to God through Christ. There are believers caring for one another. The body life is happening. Mutual nurture and support. Believers are caring for those around them. Reaching out where there are needs in their community and around the world. And there are believers preparing themselves for eternity. The Christian faith is a comfort in sickness and death for Many, many believe it. So the body life of the organism, the church, is healthy. And it's healthy because it is a spiritual reality. It's not something organizations create. It's something that happens because of the Holy Spirit's presence. Now, we right here at Aldina Baptist Church can cultivate our body life as part of the larger body life of the Church of Jesus Christ. And how can we do that? First, I'd like to suggest humility. If we are humble, we will fulfill our role, express our gift, and not try to control other people. And if we put organism over organization, we won't be thrown off by the rules and regulation, by all the petty disputes by all of the uh, of the people who seem to be trying to outdo each other for attention and to take attention away from Jesus. And then we will focus on Jesus, not on traditions, not on programs or goals, but on Jesus himself in our ministry, our preaching, our Bible study, and our conversations with one another. And we'll practice good spiritual health if we take the body spiritually. That means we will meet together and relate to one another, not withdraw. And we will care not about our own health, but about the health of the rest of the people who are part of our body. And we will keep up the intake of oxygen and nutrients we need for our own spiritual life and keep the blood flowing so we don't have hardening of the arteries spiritually. And we'll exercise. And we'll respect all parts of the body. And, and you know, Paul talks about how some parts of the body get more noticed than others. And that we need to really take special care of those people who aren't being noticed. So that's part of the life of the body nurturing the organism we are blessed to be part of thank god for the institution that is altadena baptist church the building the many people who have laid down their lives and given us a good foundation of faith all all of that is wonderful but it's what happens there that matters it's the living organism. It's the body life of the body of Christ. And we can make the difference right now, today, through our own actions together. By the grace of God, let's do it. Thank you. As always, we'd like to invite you, for this season, to join us online at altadenabaptist.org or our public YouTube page every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. for remote worship. All events are suspended right now, but if you need prayer, please reach out to us at AOL.com. And again, we pray God's blessings on you this week.